Listeners, you are in for such a treat today. Um, on the show is my friend Ben Albert. We met on LinkedIn a few months ago, and I just loved the whole self image that I got from his content and interactions on LinkedIn. And by whole self, I mean that he doesn't separate his personal and professional lives in a way that leaves you wondering who else is behind what you're seeing on on the content. And there's something really, I don't know, inspiring about that. I see it in a few people, that balance of personal and professional, the warmth with the professional attitude that I think sometimes eludes people. So Ben, thank you so much for joining me today on Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. Sarah, thanks for having me. That was like the nicest compliment I've ever received. And we've only spoken like once or twice. So I guess I'm doing something right. I'm really just humbled to be with you today. And I'm looking to have some fun. Absolutely. That's kind of what we're after. (laughs) So um, as I mentioned in my email, when we were getting ready to record this, I always love to start the episode by asking my guests to share something about themselves that most people might not know. And because of the way I introduced you, I know that that makes it a little trickier, but I'm sure that you have something to share with our audience that will give them a little more insight into who you are and why you do what you do and your pivotal life moments that contribute to who you are. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like yourself, I'm a music junkie. I love music and specifically live music. Every summer, I go to no less than five or six music festivals um, because I love camping. I love being around like-minded people, and I love live music, especially when you've got 10 bands in a day. So a lot of people in the business world don't know that I'm out almost every weekend camping, going to music, this or that. But that release, that connection, that fun, that energy really helps me center myself Um, And really just enjoy the work-life blend I get to have where as an entrepreneur, I'm lucky. I I do get to set my own schedule and I do get to take, you know, a three-day weekend to go to Chicago or Ithaca, New York, or who knows, maybe Montana one day. Well, I would hope Montana one day because we do have a few really great festivals. Like the Red Ants Pants Festival is very well known around here. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you'd love it. I would. That is something that I don't remember seeing on your bio or anything in LinkedIn. I knew that you were fascinated by the music industry and that that was part of your um, part of your history. But the every every other weekend through the summer, that is really cool. I think, um, I, and I love the way that you said the community and that like minded people and. I like to shift that a little and it sounds a little, I don't know, wooey, which I'm not, I'm a very practical person, but I love the idea of like-hearted people mm-hmm. because when I think about like-minded people, it makes me think of the the bubble that people have been in, especially via social media, where mm-hmm. you don't hear what other people are thinking about, but you know how they feel when you're together in that environment. You know, that's a fascinating distinction because again, like-minded, similar political tribe or similar um, dot, dot, dot. 
when I go to something like a music festival, there's generally a variety of styles of bands. They're from a variety. At times, they're not even from America. They're from a variety of different nations. Um, and there's a ton of different people with different lives and different political views. But it, I'm going to get kind of silly with a Bob Marley quote. One good thing about music, when it hits you, you feel no pain. All these people that are maybe different in their life experience, you made a great distinction. There's a great alignment in who they are inside and what lights mm -hmm. them up. And you start realizing that the person that you potentially were disagreeing with on social media is actually 98% similar to you inside. You just have a couple beliefs that are different. Exactly. Exactly. And music and food, they're the things that bring people together. <laughs> That's and those are the two things we've already talked about before I hit record, which is perfect. <laughs> that probably could have been my second answer, food. Food. <laughs> <laughs> that people don't know about you? Yeah, well, people don't. I, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess everyone probably knows that everyone's obsessed with food because it's amazing. But but it's it's so fascinating. The way people are obsessed with food is different. Mm. And I'll give you an example. Um, there's a this wonderful human, Trey Kaufman. He has the Mosaic Life podcast and just so kind and so self-reflective and insightful, just this brilliant guy. His obsession with food is making sure it's fuel. And it's yeah. not about the the love that goes into it or the flavor necessarily. It's not about sharing a meal with other people. It's about what am I fueling my body with? Mm. And he's totally obsessed with it in that way where I'm all about my kitchen and making sure that everyone who walks into my kitchen feels nurtured and nourished. And that means good food. You know, we're not talking about chips. Well, although I love potato chips, but we're sure. talking about like homemade farm to table wherever possible and not huge amounts of food, but just the right amount. I don't know. So yeah, people are differently obsessed with food, right? Yeah, it, it's it connects us all though. We we all like food in one way or another. If not, that would be a difficult life to live, I guess. I don't know. I know some people that have that difficult life because they're not interested in food. Mm. Isn't that oh, I don't I don't know how you could not be interested in what goes into your body. <laughs> you you no. have to ha you have to have them on the podcast cuz I'm starting to realize right now and I'm a very curious person. I'm starting to realize that I don't really think about food that much. It's just embedded in my life, reasonably so, that I don't think twice. Like I try to put healthy things in my body. Um but I don't quite think of the atmosphere or the science or any of these things quite as much as I potentially could. So this is something to put on my to-do list, go on a food, just just start nerding out on food and learn everything I can about it because it's yes! something that I can't live without. I love that idea. And you know, I love the way you just put that. It's something I could be interested in. It's something that I could dive into and be very curious about. The word should never pass your lips. And I love that because should is something, it's a word that I've been trying to remove from my vocabulary. So that especially, that sentence just really spoke to me. 
I don't know if it's shown in my body language, but should came to my head first. And I <laughs> course corrected because I truly try to be as mindful as possible with the words I speak, Sarah, because people are listening to this and I am literally on the boat with you. Like if should gets on the boat, we need to get rid of it. I get to, I want to, I can, I will, I'm going to. Um, but I live my life following all the shoulds. People tell me what I should do, what I shouldn't do, what I, and it's at a point where it's tough because it almost triggers me. I hear that. I've had to really back off when somebody has said, you should think about, because my first instinct is a little triggered. Like I feel the hairs on the back of my neck go up. Don't tell me what I should do. Mm-hmm. I always thought that's because I'm an Aries. <laughs> Don't tell an Aries or middle child what to do because they'll do the opposite. But now I realize it's that it's that sense of condescension or judgment. And I do back off now because I know not everybody understands what that word really means when they mm-hmm. say it. So being conscious of that, I I love that about you, Ben. What does it mean, too? Because, I mean, what's the difference between I recommend and you should? Usually, Judgment. Usually the intention is the same, though. It's just they're using a language pattern um, that could be shame-based. However, it's learned. It's a learned pattern. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that it's judgmental subconsciously. Mm, interesting. And- I'll give you an example. I'm going to make another mention here. My friend, Susan Rooks, the grammar goddess on LinkedIn and Facebook, she's uh, this just hilarious and fun and very, very bright woman. And she wrote a blog post years ago that continues to resonate with me about how she went to a mechanic to get her oil changed. She'd been going to this mechanic for a long time, years, and he was shooting all over her. You should have been here a thousand miles ago. You should be taking care of this about your car. You should be thinking about that. And she just, she hit her limit after the fourth or fifth should. And he, I'm sure his intention was, I want your car to last longer. Mm -hmm. I want you to have a, a car that is going to take you where it needs to be, that it's reliable. And, um, but all it came out as was, you're not taking care of your car. You're not doing all the things that will make it good. And you're not enough. Mm. You know, you're not paying attention to something that's important. And she never went back. Why would she? Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So that's part of what I love about your podcast and what you do, Sarah, is a better way to handle that is what a friend of mine, he calls them, his name's John Livesey. He calls them case stories. He doesn't even, he's, he wrote the book, The Sale is in the Tale. And he takes the concept of a case study and calls it a case story. Now, in a scenario like that, the gentleman could have been like, talk about himself is even better, but, or talk about someone close to him and walk through what they had went through and the issues their car had and said, you know, based on my experience, I recommend for the next time we enact, you know, these action plans so we can avoid further issues. Because if you're anything like most of the people I know, 
you really care about your car and you want it to last as long as possible. So I'm here to help you do that. And again, it's still breaking tough news, but if you use empathy and vulnerability and maybe a case story, then you can tell them what they quote unquote should do, but really give them the option to make a decision based on relevant information that isn't pushing them in a direction that you believe it's actually allowing them to come to a conclusion themselves. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. A case story. And it could be something as simple as my wife's car engine just blew up because we didn't have, we hadn't checked the oil and I'm a mechanic. Mm -hmm. So please bring it in next time so that we can make sure that that doesn't happen to you. Right. And not only is that a case story, but it's demonstrating that he cares about her and it's not about the car. It's not about his business. I don't want anything like that to happen to you. Demonstrating care for the person in front of you. And that's what I think he was trying to do, Mm -hmm. but it didn't come out very well. I think as parents, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, um, I'm a parent. You're not a parent yet. If, if, when, um, but that is something that comes across in my parenting is I try really hard not to use the word should Mm. because it doesn't demonstrate care. It demonstrates judgment. And so I'll say to my boys, have you considered? This is what happened to me. I highly recommend avoiding this because this was painful. Um, But it's, it's hard because as a parent, you want to demonstrate care and the word should just kind of pops in. You should go to work. (laughs) You should care about your bedroom being clean. (laughs) But if we turn it around and say, it bothers me to walk by your bedroom and see it like this, because I know that if your bedroom looks like this, your mind also looks like this. Mm -hmm. You know, the the clutter is going to mess with your head. And I don't think that's good for you. So let's, let's get back to uh, it is not hard to go off topic with me. <laughs> I have what's called no adaptability and activator in my top strengths and my strengths finder. So I just go wherever it leads me in these conversations. But you know what my I, number one strength is? What is it? Input. Oh, and so you're collecting. I'm always collecting information. And here's the thing I hardly charge for like a consultation or my podcast is totally free, et cetera, et cetera. And it's because I love to give and I love to receive. And my girlfriend's been telling me, you need to charge for your time because really what you're doing is you're taking in hundreds of hours and years of experience and input. And then what I like to do is I like to sift through the BS and then bring what I believe is the highest level thought that I can come up with in the moment for the question, so on and so forth. So I'm a collector. So I'm good with you going on tangents and telling your stories because I'm learning by having this conversation with you. And the listener might pick up one nugget, three nuggets, five or 10. Let's say we just pick up one today and we pick up one nugget every conversation the rest of our lives. Oh my gosh. I'm just, I'm collecting knowledge. Maybe one day I'll use it. Maybe one day I won't, but it's sure fun to do. So yeah, I'm I'm high in input. Oh, I love that. I love that. What, what are your top two input and what else? Maximizer? You know, it's funny. I 
I'm going to take a minute to think. Maximizer is definitely in the top five. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard that coming out of your story. I need to look back into it. Yeah. Send me some of your top five. We'll include it in the show notes on the blog post. Cool. Cool. So I would love to hear a story about a recent client because as I mentioned before, rather than telling people what we do, if we tell a story about something that was um, really inspiring or meaningful to us in our work, then people can figure out what we do without us saying, this is what I do. So I'd love to hear that from you. Do you have something in your head? Yeah. So I'm I'm really honored when I give someone a very minimal amount of advice and information. And they're such a go-getter. We call them grow-getters. Me and my buddy Andrew Biernat have a group called Grow-Getters. They're such a grow-getter that they can take the recipe and just go crush it. So I have month-to-month clients that I work with. But in this scenario, um, I had a podcast and my buddies, um, Tyler and Kevin, wanted to start their own podcast. Now, I had been podcasting on and off for five years. So I had made a lot of mistakes. I had a couple ideas. Um, We met three times for 45 minutes to an hour apiece. I gave them a template. I helped them build their cover art, helped them get on the platforms, and really just told them what I recommend they focus on. at, At the core, I'll give people the answer. It's building the relationships beyond the audience. Even if you're top, even if you have three listeners and it's you, your guest, and the guest's mom, even better, a, the guest boss or the guest coworker, and someone comes and says, oh my gosh, I love that interview. You've done service to that person. And if you can scale that by bringing in multiple great guests and building great relationships, your podcast audience will go up, but you're less into the vanity metric. You're actually more into the relationships you get to build through this beautiful medium of podcasting. So like, Sarah, when we're done with this conversation, I'm not going to ghost you and never talk to you again. I want you in my corner by my side if I need anything or if there's any way that I can serve you or any member of your audience. So we did just a few calls. I gave them a very basic template. It didn't cost much money or much time. And now they're in like the top 1%. They actually have a higher listenership than I do. Um, they have a kick butt podcast. It's, it's called Time Out with Leaders. Um, Time Out with Leaders with Kevin Rustesi and Tyler White. They've got a podcast that's more popular than mine in a shorter amount of time. And I'm really proud of that, especially because it took such little amount of effort on my part. As a marketing company, I really don't like to be a Band-Aid. I'd mm-hmm. rather empower people where if they don't need me anymore, that's actually a great sign. Mm, I love that. I love that. What a great story. So tell me, when you when you um, saw that metric come in, that they were in that top 1%, did you call them? Like, what, what happened? I got slightly jealous, as most, <laughs> of course, humans, thank you. <laughs> most humans would. And um, so there's something called listennotes.com, and the, it's their metrics. Um, it's not perfect, but it's like the Nielsen ratings um, for podcasting kind of thing. And so I just sent them the link and they're like, oh my gosh, I had no clue. 
And so I looked up all, I've got a large network of podcasters that I just love speaking with. And I started looking up all my friends' podcasts and spreading the love as much as I can. Like, did you know you're in the top 5%? Did you know you're in the top 10%? And just spreading that little nibble of joy felt really good. And then you start to realize, okay, I'm triggered at first. Your ego kind of is at, oh, I want to be the best. If people surrounding me are better than me, I think that's a great reflection on myself. And it's really humbling to see your network go as high as they can, you know, skyrocket towards the moon. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And I hear that because as a public speaking coach, when I see one of my clients really nail a presentation or um, one of my clients just gave a TED style speech at a very important event and she nailed it. Love it. And you're right. Like that first, it's like, oh my gosh, when is it my turn? Which is kind of silly because it's been my turn. I've already been there. But at the same time, that that little edge of of envy starts to kind of crawl up. And then in the same instant, I think it took me maybe four seconds to go, I was part of the foundation of that success. Yeah. And even if I was a cornerstone and not the entire foundation, it doesn't matter. You can't build it without the cornerstone. Mm. And now I know that her ripple effect from her inspiring presentation is extraordinary. I, I know that um, she texted me shortly after and said that a couple of men came up to her afterward. And one of them said, this really inspired me. I realized, I think I'm telling my wife's story all wrong. Wow. And another one said, Courtney, you had me in tears. Mm. And all I could think was they're going to go home and they're going to change their close community just from that one inspiring, motivating presentation that I was a cornerstone of the foundation for. That's right. That's Collect just the coolest thing. Collective impact. It's exactly. That, it's that ripple effect you said, that waves that create a collective impact. And we get to be a part of that impact. To me, it doesn't matter who gets the trophy as long as the solution is found. Exactly. And there are millions, billions of people that continue to need impact. So um, all I can think is, this is just one small piece of the puzzle. And I am another small piece of the puzzle. And the more that we can get the word out, every and every message is slightly different. And who's going to hear my message versus somebody else who speaks on a similar topic? Mm. Because the audience learns differently. Each member of the audience is going to have a different voice in their head and different experiences that might trigger them or might inspire them. So I'd love to come back to something you said in our pre-conversation before I hit record. You mentioned that 2020, you were kind of catapulted into solopreneurship or entrepreneurship. And I'd love to hear a little bit about what happened then, if you don't mind sharing that. Absolutely. Can, can we slow way down to speed up and go a little bit farther back in time to kind of give context of absolutely how, how it happened and why it happened and ultimately all this messy stuff was happening for me that allowed me to be prepared mm -hmm. for this messy moment um 
And to catapult forward, really what I did is in just over a year, I was furloughed and I replaced my sales executive income as an entrepreneur, but it was a sloppy ride to the top. The The first 13 years, I, I barely spoke a word. We talked in our pre-conversation, you mentioned Ashkenazi Jews. That's a fun fact. I'm actually 52% Ashkenazi Jewish. So I didn't speak like the first 12 to 13 years of my life. I mean, I spoke a little bit to my family and friends, but I was the quiet kid. Um, so I'm 13 and I'm having my bar mitzvah and I'm sweating and I'm wearing a suit on like an 80, 90 degree day because it was in June and I'm voices crackling. And then the concept that I have a marketing firm as an entrepreneur and I have a podcast with a few hundred episodes, it's just like <laughs> mind boggling when you look at the kid that was afraid to speak. And I was the smallest kid in class, quite literally the second smallest. I was the smallest boy. The smallest person was a little girl named Olivia Lee. and Which would have been me in that class. But okay. okay. <laughs> and I took I took pride in the fact I wasn't the shortest. But if you look at like school pictures, it's hilarious how tiny it was. Um, but I wanted to be a basketball player. And I had a jersey for every single day of the week. And I slept in them. I don't remember ever washing them. I presume my parents took <laughs> care of that end of it for me. <laughs> but I'm, I'm quiet and I'm talented at basketball and I play every day and I want to be a basketball player, but I'm the smallest kid and everyone continues to hit a growth spurt and I stay relatively the same height. I was destined to be five, seven and a half when I was older. So needless to say, that dream of basketball was never to come to fruition. And as I got older, I made myself smaller. So imagine you're the smallest person. And then you make yourself smaller because you want to avoid the eyes and the bullying and people don't really need to know this, but my father was an alcoholic. He basically drunk himself to death. So I felt detached at home. Um, then I felt detached from the world. Um, and it wasn't until around high school time that a few of my friends like Brendan Gansmer specifically, no one knows who he is. He's just a friend from high school, but he um, got me obsessed with music. And then when I found the music industry, which I know you love as well, there was like the self of belonging and connection and the quiet kid that was getting bullied in sports ultimately because of my size actually had a place with all these introverted creative types. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't the one on the stage rocking. I mean, I, I took pictures with guitars and I played drums, but I wasn't the best musician. I wasn't the one on the stage. I was the one handing out flyers. At that time, I was helping set up MySpace pages. Um, I was literally, there's a band, Giant Panda Gorilla Dub Squad. They're a reggae band from my hometown. And no one had heard of them at the time, but I swear like 10% of their my school had their shirt because me and the tribe of people would talk about them and go to the shows and hand out flyers and really just amplify a good thing. Quite literally in the music industry, we were amplifying a good thing. So long story, slightly longer. That is where I realized today that I was finding my purpose and it was in the marketing industry because what I still get to do today is just that. I take businesses and great ideas and great concepts and I amplify them. I inject steroids into it. 
I allow business owners to take their mission, reach a larger audience, bring in employees, bring in partners, scale their business. So I've always been, I really connected what you're saying before about maybe not being the one on stage, getting all the accolades, but being the one that allows that person to get the accolades because of the massive role I played to help get them there. So this was all happening. I had started a music podcast. So this is all to say I was obsessed with music. I was obsessed with like this growth mindset thing because it came from a place of lacking. Like it came from a place of being small. So I was obsessed with music, a growth mindset, and really just building community and a sense of belonging because I felt detached at home and I felt like I didn't belong. So in 2015, 2016, actually, I started my first music podcast. Um, I found my way into the marketing industry by accident. Um, some I got furloughed from work way back when, and there was some ad that basically said I could make a lot of money, and it said media consultant. And I got the job, and it was really just a sales role for a marketing company. So all this thing had layered on. So growth mindset, love of community, love of music, love of podcasting, a building love of marketing that I didn't know was kind of innate, um, a sales background from selling marketing. And then I'm moving up the corporate ladder or whatever you want to call it. And COVID hit. And that leads me to the actual question you asked. Um, the number one product we sold was video production and we sold it nationally. So there was no travel, there was no in-person video, there was no sales. So again, I got humbled, I got knocked over, and there wasn't a place for me at this company anymore because there just wasn't a place for my role. So, uh, yuck, <laughs> and and yay, <laughs> and yay is right. Um, so. That's where I was sprung into entrepreneurship. And the whole reason I tell that story, and I feel like I'm being repetitive, is I stacked these skills. I took my love of curiosity and growth, my understanding and love of podcasting, my love of marketing, my love of helping people. And I started a Rochester, New York. That's my hometown, Rochester, New York. I started a Rochester, New York business podcast so I could do just that elevate the business leaders in my community because I didn't want to be a tiny little smallest fish imaginable in an ocean. I thought, okay, I could be a tiny fish, but let's get in the smallest pond possible. Mm -hmm. So I did podcasting for business owners in Rochester, New York. And I started out by reaching out to SUNY Brockport alumni because I was a SUNY Brockport alumni myself. So the way I kickstarted my business really was taking these skills, stacking them to start a business podcast that aligned with the marketing firm. And then obvious no brainer, I sold marketing services, but it was that building of community through conversation that even allowed me to get in the door to have a marketing and sales conversation in the first place. So I love podcasting. I love what I do. And that's my story. I love that. And I would say that that's not repetitive. I would say that not enough of us realize how many lessons we learn in every environment we mm. sit. 
and how we can very easily apply everything we learn from one step to the next, even if they seem totally unrelated and disconnected, because they're not. Nothing is disconnected. Interconnected. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot about um, the connectedness as a top strength, because I've worked with thousands of clients using that tool. And the ones with connectedness in their top strengths are the ones generally that understand that concept, mm. that that we can apply whatever we're learning today to whatever we're doing tomorrow, even if it seems totally unrelated. So basketball, you're working hard at basketball and you're getting better and better at it, but you will never really be a competitor because you're little. And yet all of what you're doing is building agility. Mm. And you're building a sense of community, even if it didn't feel like you felt like you belonged, but you were building a sense of community anyway, because this is something that mattered to you. And then taking that to music, people without connectedness might look at that and go, basketball, music, what? But agility in music is really critical, especially live music. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that. And I would not call it repetitive at all. I would say that more of us need to understand that that there is continuity even in what feels like um, steps that are disconnected. And it's interesting. We know this now. Like I took a, a character strength assessment and I ranked high um, <clears throat> highest in appreciation of beauty and excellence. And when you look at sports and you look at music and you look at art and you look at nature and you look at camping and you look at people and you look at books and podcasts and you look at that I'm high in input and I like to take in information it's because of an appreciation of beauty and excellence it doesn't matter if you're you know playing with a bow or playing with a ball that is an incredible feat and people are doing it at a high level. And I've always aspired to be like those people. I love that. There's And there's a, a, a grace and physicality about both, particularly live music. But even, mm. even when I've recorded in the studio, there are aspects of physicality there. I mean, where you're standing, what the studio looks like, all of that impacts how you're presenting yourself, how you're presenting your voice. There, but there's something about live music with a live audience that becomes very physical, and mm. you have this need for grace on stage. And um, to bring this full circle, you were saying that you you find this beauty that that's the top of where you are um, as a character in your character, yeah. and. That makes so much sense to me because, again, it comes to being fully connected, not separating your personal life from your professional life, because you can't bring your whole self to either one if no. you're trying to take those apart. I love that. I My love new that. favorite term lately is work-life blend. Yes. Work-life balance even seems like shame-based in itself that we need to balance these two to maintain happiness. Right. Why do they need to be siloed? What you imagine a seesaw, right? And where are you going to put the fulcrum? Yeah. And it has to move all the time. How do you move a fulcrum when you have such heavy weights on both sides? 
Have you ever, I mean, I'm, I'm a very visual person. I'm imagining the seesaw with two heavy weights on it. And it's, you know, there's no way, there's no way you're going to move the fulcrum to make sure that when your kid is sick, that the fulcrum is closer on that side so that you can weigh it better. Like you can manage the difference in weight. I, I don't know. I love that you yeah. just said that. Well, I think Work about blend. peanut butter and jelly. Now, not everyone loves peanut butter and jelly, but it's pretty popular. And I, I can eat, I can eat either of them on their own, but we blend them together and maybe mm-hmm. our jelly is very sweet. So we use a little less of it or our peanut butter is very nutty. Um, maybe we add fluff to it. There's so much to work with, but the key here is they can work together. They don't have to work in silos against each other. They're actually meant to be together. And work and life are, aside from sleep, I guess let's throw sleep in there. Work, life, and <laughs> the sleep. Bread. Work, the bread life, and sleep. sleep. <laughs> so the, bre- the bread, yes. I got to work on that analogy with the, the day. <laughs> well, my, it's why only people point, say, that's why people say it's like peanut yeah. butter and jelly. We go together like coffee yes. and tea, pe- peanut butter and jelly, uh, whiskey and ice. Well, that's mine, but yeah. <laughs> I like whiskey and ice. Um, no, all, all I was going to say is I feel like those are the three main things. You work, you sleep, and then you life, which for some reason we used to think was different than work and sleep. They all work in unison. Mm-hmm. The better you sleep, the better you work, the better you work, the better your life is, the better your life is, the better you work, the more fulfilled you feel, the easier it is to fall asleep, the better you eat, the easier it is to sleep, the better you eat, the more energy you have. The, I could just, I'm right. rambling. I've never even thought about it. The better your relationships are. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yes. The better relationships you are, the better you feel, the better you and feel, the better your children feel. let's throw music into this. We already mm. have the food analogy. Let's do the music analogy. There are yes. some times and some songs where the vocals will be in unison to create a really powerful voice. And then there are some songs where the vocals will come in in harmony and it creates complexity and beauty all its own. I love it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll send you this. People can write them down. I don't know what kind of music people listen to. But one of the bands I love, they're called Milkweed. And what I love about Milkweed is it's as simple as a guitar, another guitar, and a bass. And the lead singer-songwriter has one of the most unique voices I've ever heard. But I'd say 75% of the time they harmonize. And then the singer will like sing a few lines or sing like a little bit of a verse. And then they'll go back to harmony. And it's the contrast between the harmony and the uniqueness of his voice and how their voices all blend together that makes a three-piece band without a drum set, a lot, not any bells and whistles, sound so full and just fruitful. I love that. Yes. I was just thinking about the song One Voice um, mm-hmm. that the Waylon Jennings do. Okay. And it starts with, this is the sound of one voice. And then they come in with a harmony. This is the sound of voices too. Mm. And then they have three. So each, it builds on itself. And um, I had the opportunity to sing that with two other women, a cappella at a YWCA fundraising event years ago. 
Fun. And I'll, I'll never forget how that felt to sing by myself and have that power acapella, nervous to be standing alone. And yet I knew I wasn't alone. I had these two gorgeous, intelligent, thoughtful, generous women right next to me. And I knew they were going to come in next. And there's something so powerful about that to sing your own voice, to hear your own voice, even if you're just speaking, knowing that you have the support of these other people and that they are going to join in and be your ambassadors and be your support and be your foundation. Ah, that just brought back a wonderful memory for me. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so as we kind of, uh, we talked full circle, we came back to how we um, try not to separate our personal professional lives. We went into the food analogy, the music analogy. I would love to come back to a particular story of an, a musical event where it all kind of came together for you. This idea that you are creating community in your work, in your personal life, being able to blend your love for going to these live events. And I just have to say, one of the things I love about live music more than anything else is watching the expressions of the musicians on the stage, watching them interact, knowing whether they like each other, Mm. knowing whether they feel like they're nailing it because that's what I watch. But we came back to all that. And what I'd love to hear is a story about that connection that you made. Do you have a, a specific incident where you're like, oh, yes, this is all coming together. So this was a learning experience for me because um, I, at the time, um, I'm working a retail job at a pharmacy I'm on, again, I'm, I love music. I'm promoting music a lot. So I'm spending 40% of my work day on the phone, making events, very detached from the workplace. I was a terrible employee. Um, so I was very detached and unhappy with work and there was no blend. It was, I go to work and I find any time I can to plan my next move and I clock in, clock out, collect the paycheck and move on. And I went to a music festival that I had been before, but I millions of moments at this festival. It's called the Grassroots Festival of Music and Dance. Um, we had talked previously about Mandolin Orange. They had played there. Um, lots of incredible bands come there from all walks of life. It's in Ithaca, New York, which is a very fruitful, um, great college town, great artistic town. And they bring in everything from folk to rock and roll Two bands from Uganda and bands from Mexico and Chile and all across the board, you know, going back, it's the Grassroots Festival of Music and Dance. It's all about bringing people together for music and dance, no matter where you came from, all walks of life. Um, so many moments at this festival, one that I jokingly like talk about because it stands out for me is there's a band called the Campbell Brothers. And they're a sacred steel gospel band. Now, to break it down, the two main guys both play steel guitars. That's like a, it's basically lies flat on like a lap. Uh, I'm not explaining it well, but it lies flat. And there's like 24 strings. And then they play it with a slide. And it has that twangy kind of gospel y 
Southern kind of feel to it. So both brothers are playing that same instrument at the same time, which creates just a lot of sound and a lot of movement. And then there's organ and guitar. Now the kicker here is the gospel, bro- the gospel, the Campbell brothers are a gospel band. And I was born and raised Jewish. I'm Ashkenazi Jew. Like mm-hmm. I am not raised in any Catholic Christian religion at all. But I'm at this event and the lights are moving back and forth and wavering against the bleachers and the guitars again are like call and response and then playing in unison and creating all this noise and energy. And I'm just sucked in because religion didn't matter. Religion had nothing to do. That that was faith. That was. Yes. Spirit. And I realized in that moment that religion's beyond the words. It's actually the emotion and the spirit and the faith and the connection that the religion allows. Um, and the funny part is they have a song where it's all, um, what's his name? Jesus. What's his name? Jesus. We're going to thank him, thank him, thank him, thank him. And now me, the Ashkenazi Jew who had a bar mitzvah and was raised in a completely, not completely, but a different religion his whole life is yelling and chanting, what's his name? Jesus. And it's not that I, quote unquote, believe in Jesus in that sense. The energy that that moment brought in the community, again, transcended a particular belief system. If God exists, which if no matter how you define God, we're all speaking to the same person in that moment. We're all speaking to the same being, the same essence. You can call it Jesus. You can call it Yeshua. You can call it God. You can call it Yahweh. It's all the you same. Call it universe. Universe. Universal energy, it, as yeah. I've heard it referred to. We're all speaking to that same thing. Now, to give you a much shorter version of the same concept is at that same festival, um, Oliver Matsdutsky played. He's from, don't quote me, but I think it's Zimbabwe. And all but one song was all in his his, you know, uh, what's the his, his native dialect, language, his native oh. language and his dialect. Um, so I didn't, I didn't understand a single word. And that was less high energy gospel it was more soft and polyrhythms and syncopation and grooves and very like quiet and intimate in the language and the way his tone when he sang was very just caramel and thick and powerful. Same mm-hmm. concept. I didn't understand a single word, but everyone, political views, gender, race, sexual orientation, none of that mattered because the music was connecting all of us. Now, this was a time where I was miserable and felt disconnected at work, and this was like an escape for me. But I had a lot of moments like this that were light bulb aha moments that this doesn't have to be an escape. If we can accomplish this, why can't this transcend into everything we do? Now, not every moment's going to be a blissful four days off where you don't do anything and you pay to be there and everything's there just ready for you. Life's not that simple. But why can't we take that environment, that feeling, that opportunity and allow it to bleed into our lives and everything we do? Again, we can't replicate it in every single moment 
oh, we can still keep it in our back pocket. We can still kind of wear it like perfume. And embody the elements of it. Embody it. And I didn't embody it a lot of my life, but having those moments that just smack you in the face over and over again, you start to realize that go back to all the shoulds, what car, what life, what religion, what job, what amount of money, what girlfriend, none of that actually mattered to me. This mattered more to me. So am I going to live in someone else's what, or am I going to live in alignment with what's actually lighting me up? And I still fail all the time to do that, but at least I know where that so so on so north star is. So I know what direction to move towards, even when I see myself going in the wrong direction, which still happens all the time. Still happens all the time. So when you got back to work at the pharmacy, how did you change? I mean, I, I know that you changed because you came back. Were you able to kind of live that purpose despite where you were or embody it there too and start to connect better with the people there? Everyone, like most of my life, everyone said I'm pretty chill, like I'm a mellow energy. Even like condescendingly, my boss told me once, like, I can't read you. (laughs) I was cool with that because I, I try not to be, and I still get, but I try not to be triggered by external circumstances out of my control. So I was just mellow. A lot of people coming in are going through actual stuff. And mm-hmm. I've got, you know, knock on wood, great health and a great life and great family and great opportunity um, that some of the people walking into that pharmacy don't, don't have the same luxuries that I do. So I always just try to be even keel and accepting Um, But for me, it's not like I had one moment and changed overnight. Um, I went to the same festival every year from 09 until 2022. And I go to other music festivals and I've been to like meditation retreat and all sorts of things. But you start stacking all these wins and these habits. And a lot of people like to tell a story where there's one aha moment and their life changed. For me, there was like 5,000 aha moments, like 4,900 of me slapping myself in the face and being like, wake up. And now today, I'm a different I'm different than I used to be 10 plus years ago, but I'm still kind of the same person. Yeah, I'm I kind of call it... Oh, go ahead. I You go on because I... I I actually don't know how to finish my thought right now. You're my therapist right now. So. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I I also agree that there's no light switch moment. Yeah. There's no from off to on, mm. but there's always a dimmer switch. Mm. And I think it's critical to notice those incremental changes. So they're, they're pivotal points. It doesn't mean that they're the only pivotal, pivotal point or that it's a prime pivotal point. It's A pivotal moment. And those are the meaningful stories that we need to collect. Yeah. So I know that there was a time shortly after that first experience where you came back to work and you did something a little differently. Somebody walked in and maybe you would have been even killed with them. But after that event, somehow you felt a little connected to them and were able to smile in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise, or 
really offer genuine kindness to them in a way you might not have a week before because of that experience of genuine connection and spirituality, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I, I know that there was a moment. A, a big thing for me has been not judging people, which mm. is hard to do. But imagine this, you don't judge the, someone, you treat them the same way you would treat your best friend, then they reciprocate and you realize you've been judging people wrong. Did that so, happen? Like, can you think of a specific incident? There was silly uh, ones. Like uh, the first time I went to this festival, I actually at that time was working at like a, a burger joint and I would like see people and get frustrated because I'd assume they'd make a mess. And oh. then this really large family came in with a bunch of kids and like played with the toys and like the, like the machines where you can win toys and things and got a bunch of food and got a bunch of little buckets of ketchup. And they left like cleaner than when they got there. Oh. <laughs> and then you have to stop yourself, right? I, I interviewed uh, a woman a couple years ago, and I have repeated this over and over again because it's so meaningful. She said that when she was in her master's program for, I think it was social work or something like that, she said, one of her professors said, you are not responsible for the first thought that comes into your head. That is intrinsic bias intrinsic. You can't affect that immediately. Mm-hmm. So you're not responsible for that. It's how you're raised. It's your environment. It's all those factors, biological factors. However, you are responsible for every single thought that follows it. So to me, that gives us this, this liberation from shame from mm-hmm. that first thought. So when your first thought is, these people are going to be slobs. Uh, and and it's because you have years of experience that demonstrate that that is the case. That's how your brain works. It's the it's a product of your environment. You have witnessed this over and over and over again. So your brain says, oh, here's an easy one to predict. Yeah. But it's every step after that that you can say, this might be different. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about this family. There's so many other things that could be going on with them. And the same for those people that would come into the pharmacy. And I, I what I was thinking of was, um, I remember vividly when I worked in circulation at a library. And there was a woman who would come in and borrow this big stack of like a dozen paperback romance novels hmm. every week. She would read them and then come back, return them all, and get another dozen. And she's she is smart. Like I knew standing in circulation, and I was reading like crazy then because I was working in the library. And I knew that she was really smart because we had had conversations. So my first thing was judgment. Why are you reading romance novels? And I had just read a really good biography. And I said, hey, I think you'd really like this biography. And I wasn't doing it out of judgment. I was Mm -hmm. doing it out of 
this is a really interesting book and I think you'll love it. Yeah. At least that's what I told myself. But she said, no, thank you. And I said, why do you read these? And she said, I've had a shitty five years. I lost my husband. He he died tragically. I have all of this stuff going on and this is my escape. And that was a really pivotal moment for me. It was that taking responsibility for that first thought. Even if it I don't have shame over it, I can't judge myself for it, but I can take responsibility for it and say, okay, my second thought is going to have to be curiosity. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd love to bring this full circle again, because I love how we're kind of looping back and spiraling. This is a really cool conversation. Just the last part. When you think of a recent experience with a client, um, you told us the podcast story. And again, this is to bring it back to our guests understanding what you do and how you combine your or how you blend your work and life. What was a recent experience where you had that opportunity? Interesting. With a client? Mm-hmm. What's what's tough is everything that's coming to mind right now is just the podcast. Oh, <laughs> because I know. <laughs> well, not just this podcast, but my podcast, um, mm-hmm. be, because that's what I get to do. Like, I I have I'm interviewing four people this week, and I'm actually guesting on three podcasts this week, and I squeeze it all into like two days, and. We just, it's like, it's like therapy to connect at such a deeper Mm -hmm. level. Um, I will, a recent client thing. So one thing we often do is content starter kits. And what I mean by this is a lot of people are struggling to know what to post online or when to post or the digital design elements and all this stuff, or they get writer's block. So one thing I get to do in my business is we get on a discovery call, very similar to this. It's on Zoom. We click record, but no one ever has to listen to this conversation. Really, all it is is me asking as many deep questions as they let me, starting with surface level with who do you serve? Why do you serve them? What do they look like? to getting into like, what is your why? Or what's a story that led into you discovering you wanted to do this for a living and you tell us a case study, a case story, so on and so forth. So then we take this hour long discovery conversation and then I have it transcribed and then we create like six months worth of digital images and posts and just hand them to the client. So I was working with a senior home and again, their vision is so grand, but they're not writers, they're not content marketers. So I had an amazing opportunity to get to know someone super well, then go through the transcription. My team created, I think 67 total images and said, here you go. Now it's up to them in this scenario, because this is very much um, done with you rather than done for you. Mm -hmm. It's up to them to go on and take these images and add a little bit of context. But all the 
meat and potatoes is ready for them. So I, I get really excited when I get to take what I do in the podcast with mm -hmm. the conversations and then blend it with social media marketing, that kind of stuff, and then give clients content in their own words. That's the key in their words, not Ben's words, not Ben's copy, quite literally their words and their insight. So when they're speaking to their customer and their customer calls them, their customer knows their personality, not Ben's personality trying to be, you know, Sarah's personality, if that makes right. sense. It absolutely makes sense. And it it's, I just got a little chill, you know, the hairs on the back of my neck went up oh, nice. because you're so in the pocket of what you do. Yeah. To be able to have those deep conversations and hear why people do what they do, what's meaningful to them and to be able to put their words in, in materials and content that other people can relate to. And the thing is, if somebody is, somebody's going to resonate with that message, the right people. And that's the thing is that you're attracting the right people because that message is resonating from, from the person themselves. Oh, I love that. What can, a gorgeous story. <laughs> do, do we have a time for like a really quick tip slash exercise? Absolutely. Yes. So um, you can just Google search list of values, get a big old list of values. I did this way later on. We talked about like basketball and music and all these things. I didn't really have these stories until later on, but you start to realize that your stories have a commonality as you go through There's life. A pattern. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up having to work backwards. But the way I did it, and I wish I had done this forever ago, but you can do it right now, is take a list of values and think what makes me different, what makes me unique, what makes me especially me. Start highlighting as, as many as you can. But honestly, you don't value everything in this world. Like only highlight the ones that really light you up. Then set a goal of having a maximum five, minimum two or three. And start crossing out ones once you set that goal. Then depending, most people won't have a tremendously long list after that. Then you need to look back in narratives in your life. Um, Rene Rodriguez teaches this. He actually wrote the book Amplify Your Influence. He's been on my podcast. He's incredible. But he teaches um, lighthouse and foghorn stories. So a mm. lighthouse story is a shining light a mentor of great, you know, value and abundance, and you mirrored and learned from them and wanted to bring more of that into the world. Often, I love lighthouse stories. Oftentimes, the most persuasive and meaningful are even the foghorn stories. And those are stories of lack of that. So when mm -hmm. I talk about my father being an alcoholic and feeling disconnected, I talk about feeling small I talk about another thing is I just love fun because I, that's more a lighthouse story if we talk about fun. Um, but when you talk about feeling small or feeling disconnected, two of my main values are sense of belonging slash community and growth mentality. So you look at these lighthouse and foghorn stories in your life 
things where someone it's usually between ages like nine and 13 that you really develop a lot of your brain neurologically Mm -hmm. you're developing a lot of your brain at that age so you look at these stories and what values whether it was from a lacking or from an abundance is prevalent in all if not most of them and you start crossing out the again the values that come up less and you narrow it down to two three or five then you've got you know let's say maximum five values all your marketing content you can correct me if you're if you think this is wrong but all your marketing content your storytelling and your speeches the kind of business you create the kind of business you work for can be aligned with those common values so when you're creating content or you're starting a business you're actually creating stuff for previous you and or future you mm-hmm. and the people that resonate with you could be a marketer you could be a financial advisor you could be an attorney you could be a roofer people are going to resonate with who you actually are and your values and your story and you do what you said before i started this you know exercise you connect and work with people that are in alignment or in some cases you're misaligned but you two have categories and values and skill sets that each other don't have. So you end up being great partners in an endeavor because you can kind of be the yin to the yang. But if you, mm-hmm. again, narrow down the values and then live your life in abundance with alignment with those values, then you tell stories based around that. And then you've con- you've got content for years because you're doing nothing but telling your truth. Mm-hmm. And I guess to bring it all full circle, that's what I try to do. Anytime we talk about growth or fun or community, I could talk for days. So all my marketing content, my LinkedIn, the reason it appears that there's this like me being a human, but also be, it's because I'm doing just that. Everything mm-hmm. I post is about fun, growth, community, and the other one I'd say is just uplifting others. It's my job as a marketer to uplift others, not myself. So growth, fun, community, uplift others. Every piece of content I post is exactly around those categories. I love that. And you're speaking my language for sure. I talk a lot about how storytelling affects your personal brand. Mm. It, it is your personal brand. And the more you can identify how you want to be known, um, and as a matter of fact, there's an exercise in my book that's very similar where you mm. write down a few words uh, that you want people to use to describe you. And the only way that's going to happen is if you live there, if mm-hmm. you consistently live those values, you have to be in alignment with them. If you actually want this to be your legacy while you're living, which I think is far more important than your legacy after you die. So um you're definitely speaking my language here. So for our listeners, um, don't worry. You don't have to stop or pause or pull over to write anything down. All of these links will be in the show notes um, associated with this podcast at elkinsconsulting.com, as well as contact information for Ben. And I love the name of your marketing company, Balbert. Ben Albert. Balbert Marketing is just I thought that was so clever. I said it out loud when I found out and I was sitting with my husband at the time. I'm like, look at how cool this is. (laughs) I didn't even know how cool it really was at that point, but 
I still don't know if it's cool. The first person I told, I said, I started a marketing company. I called it Balbert Marketing. He said, Ben, no one calls you Balbert. <laughs> That's because he knew you. <laughs> yes. And he, and he wasn't wrong, but Ben reinvented himself in a sense. I, I didn't want to be the sad, drunken hippie that only focused on music. So I took Ben Albert and I created Balbert to live in better alignment, really. It's okay to reinvent yourself, right? Well, and it actually speaks to what you do, which is blending. Mm. You're blending things. <laughs> I'm blending the names. <laughs> You're blending your <laughs> names. And, you know, as much as I, I love the, the reinvention aspect of everybody's story, that's actually my second book is about um, reinventing yourself and what authenticity really means. And um, I believe in reinvention. I also believe that our core values don't necessarily shift. How we want to be known may shift. Like mm -hmm. if I were to use my three words when I was 20, entertaining, charming, and smart probably would have been my top three words. And now they are very different. However, the way that I care for people hasn't changed. Mm. And the value I have in community and belonging hasn't changed. So I love that our two exercises um, blend beautifully to create a more aligned sense of self, no matter where you're sitting, whether you're working in retail or whether you are an entrepreneur in marketing, you can bring that sense of self and that purpose to every place that you sit. I agree. Ben, thank you so much for joining me on Your Stories Don't Define You. How you tell them, well, it has been an absolute pleasure. Was this your longest podcast ever? I could talk to you for years, Sarah. <laughs> no, it's not my longest yet. <laughs> but uh, we will hold that thought because who knows what's going to come next, right? That's right. Thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. I'm putting some finishing touches on a new course. Get the offer, Job Interview Storytelling, that will be available online in early fall 2022. It is so important that this course is truly relevant, helpful, and useful for my clients. So I'd love your help. Would you please email me at sarah at elkinsconsulting.com or complete the form that's linked on the blog post associated with this podcast episode to add your ideas for the course? I'd love to know your biggest challenges when it comes to job interviews, so the content of my online course is exactly what you need. I appreciate your help. Thanks in advance.